Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the practical. <laughs> We're keeping this. It's <laughs> for the blue one for the blooper reel. Might have been those three old fashions last night. I don't know. Three. Jesus. Steve was just like, oh, I have another one. He's like, you're not going to let me drink alone. I'm like, I got to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go to bed. Well, he so puts him away. I sweated it all out this morning in the pool. <laughs> Do you sweat when you swim? If it's hot enough. Yeah. Hmm. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. I had to say that a little bit more slowly here because it's day two of War Room and we are here side by side, my awesome co-host, couple four floors below, all the fun that's happening upstairs and uh, we're missing, I don't know who we're missing right now. I think we're missing lunch. I think we're missing lunch. <laughs> we we're sacrificing hurry. lunch for the good of the Perpetual Traffic for you people. here. But uh, yeah, great to see you again. And uh, obviously, this is kind of fun to get together and actually do these live. Dude, on I'm occasion. loving it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm moving to Boston. I'm digging it. I'm yeah. moving to Arizona. <laughs> Screw the cold weather. 
But no, one of the things that we had discussed on um, the show we we recorded a little bit earlier here at War Room was the fact that Kasim was out at Affiliate Summit West. We're doing a fair amount of traveling now, which is kind of nice, kind of getting back into it. Go back and listen for our thoughts and ideas on how that will impact and help your business, depending on what your comfort level is with this pandemic, which just doesn't seem to ever want to go away. Um but from our standpoints, obviously, these types of events here are pretty valuable and pretty important, not only from a business perspective, but just from a mental health perspective, which leads me to the question that I have for you. I know you've got a pretty hefty home routine that you do. You get up like insanely early and then you do all of this stuff, which I don't think we've ever really talked about. And we did do one episode way back Um between I think it was Keith, Molly, and myself, like what we do in the morning for our morning routines. And I thought it was kind of fun to maybe go through that and how that is altered now that you're doing a little bit more traveling because you're actually here in Austin through an early part of next week for yet another mastermind. Like I said, 340, we talk a lot about masterminds. So why you're actually doing this, there's a business reason for it and a psychological reason. But like, tell us a little bit about like what the Cossum routine is and how that's helped you be more productive, you know, as, as a business owner, you know, a father, a husband, a friend, all that stuff, and what impact it's had on your life. Yeah. So first of all, this is my favorite topic. So yeah. You're, you're going to have to reel me in. Uh-oh. My, my said... A lot of editing, Hector. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to cut this down significantly. Yeah. My sad, pathetic dream is that, you know, if and when I've made it, let's say I like do an exit or put my business on a shelf or whatever, I want to go be the world foremost authority on habit formation. It's something I've studied and my, my morning habit stack is, I think, the most impactful. I took a lot from Hal Elrod. If you know him, he wrote The Miracle Morning. I met him recently. I joined another mastermind called Front Row Dads. Super, super cool group of dudes. Everybody, you just want to be a better father, better husband, better business person in the family context. And mm-hmm. Hal is there, which is, which is cool. And I got to chop him up a little bit. But I wake up at four. Mm-hmm. And I wake up at four because any later and I can't, I can't jam in everything that I want to do. So I wouldn't encourage people to wake up at four as an arbitrary number. But what I would do is I'd... I'd Figure out what your quote-unquote miracle morning looks like. If you need to read the book, go do it. It's absolutely worth it. And back into that number. So if you need two hours, I need about two hours in order to get everything done that I normally get done. Yeah. And so I wake up at four because by six, my kids are awake. Right. And then it's just chaos. You know, right, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's nothing you can do. So I wake up at four. I do Wim Hof breathing, which I think you've done too. I have. Yeah. Which, I mean, dude, it's in, it, like impactful, right? Like it changes everything. I need to everything. do more of it. But yeah, because yeah, it's, I, I think it's an area because we were just talking earlier. Like <laughs> we're here at the, at the, uh, the Fairmont Hotel here in Austin and there's two pools here. And I like, I really like to swim in the morning. I didn't realize how much I actually liked it, but. I dove into the wrong, <laughs> the wrong non-heated Oops. pool yesterday. <laughs> I froze my ass off for about sixty seconds or so. Tried to remember my Wim Hof breathing. I'm like, I'm in this ice cold pool. It's like forty degrees outside here in Austin, and and then I kind of forgot how to actually do it. But I felt like I had a Wim Hof moment there, there for go. about sixty seconds, freezing my ass off, and then promptly dove into the nice warm tepid pool which was where i did my laps (laughs) so tell us a little bit more about it if people aren't familiar with it obviously we'll leave links in the show notes to wim hof resources but tell us how it works so just to preface it it's going to sound a little woo but wim has gone through clinical trials university studies there's a lot of uh, data that backs up some of his assertions he's cured autoimmune disorders crohn's disease and other people of course depression like it's and, and even if you don't have like major 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 issues it's just cool for a health perspective because you're you're overloading your body with oxygen 
and nobody breathes the right way. And so he kind of helps coach you through proper breathing. And uh, it takes me about 20 minutes to get through. And you can find the info for free online. You can take his course, but it's been, you know, I had, I had really bad allergies and I have like zero allergy issues now because I'm doing the whim thing. Uh, I also noticed that I can exercise more. Like I feel more energized. My morning yeah. feels better. Uh, when I'm done with whim, I move straight to meditation. Okay. Love me some Joe Dispenza. Okay. I know he's a little out there for some folks. Yeah. So he can get a little woo, but I, I, I get a kick out of the guy and I do that for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. I, I use his guided meditation. I'm not good enough to meditate. Do you meditate? I do. I used to do it every single morning and I've gotten away from it for whatever reason. I don't really know why, but I've, I, don't do it every single day, but I do it typically on work days. Did you I do it? Forget about it on the weekends. Yeah, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, maybe just to give myself a break. But I found it to be really, really helpful. My guy and my my go to app is is the Mind Valley. Oh app, sure, which is uh, which is Omvana. And even though I know and love Vishen Lakhiani, I still listen to, you know, his six phase meditation. It really is something that's super helpful for me. There's a bunch of other ones that are in there. I mean, all these apps are pretty much free. And uh, but yeah, I need to get back into it. I did it a couple of times this week. and I'm like, man, I haven't done this in two or three weeks and I really missed it. Mm. And I, I could feel it in my performance that day I was so much more energized and getting back into a routine. You're like ninja about it which is great and really sort of strict and rigid and you know keep to it even if you do it sometimes and it's not every single day you're still going to notice those days for whatever reason you're like wow i had a really great day today and then maybe that'll give you the impetus to do it every single day yeah you know which is obviously you're doing so i, I interrupted you on the whole routine so you go yeah. Wim Hof. Wake up, Wim Hof, meditate. From meditation, I moved to reading and writing, which is I took from Hal's book, both of which... Now, you don't need to read. I read a couple of pages, man. I might spend 15 minutes reading. like, yeah. I, I, And I read more throughout the day, and especially in the evening. That's how I go to bed. So I don't read a lot, but I like to read something. I actually really like philosophy. And I know Schopenhauer's been canceled, but, you know, like Schopenhauer, Descartes, Socrates didn't write anything, but the writing's on Socrates. Sure. And the reason I like that is because you don't need a lot to, like, catalyze something and and really take away a really big nugget as a matter of fact i've found it's a really big disadvantage to me if i try to read any probably because i'm an idiot and i just don't understand it but if i try to read you know any philosophical treaties in depth in excess it's just too much it's too much yeah so i need like so a shorter snippet. is better and then I, I sit there and i think about it. and then i do some writing and i read about a half a page in my journal and it's usually something i take this from jordan peterson who i'm a huge fan of but peterson talks about the a the therapy associated with writing and then b how when you learn to write, you, you're actually learning to think. And mm -hmm. so I'll think through whatever concept I'm struggling through. And, and oftentimes it's entrepreneurial, but it can be like, you know, family related or life or things that I'm worried about. And then if I'm not traveling, I'll go straight to exercise. Okay. So I'll hit so Orange all Theory. all that before exercise. Oh, yeah. All that happens yeah. before. So I wait, I'm up Is at there five. Is coffee in there anywhere? No. I mean, you're not a coffee drinker. No. I, I had that. to cut out caffeine entirely. So do, here's the thing, man, is I freaking love lattes. Yeah. Like I'm obsessed with them. And if, like my wife and I just did New York, New York for our 10-year anniversary. So I was, you know, sucking down two a day. Yeah. But otherwise, it's I've got some health issues and I've got to watch my, my nutrition and, and lattes are deadly. Really? It's just, yeah. just sugar, man. You're just mainlining sugar. Oh, yeah. 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 If I could do black coffee, I would do that, but I can't. Okay. Because I'm a pansy. Because that's what I do. Yeah. I do, do you really? coffee or just a little bit of cream. Yeah. 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 I actually like black coffee. My wife went on the whole 30 for 30 sure. days and she went on iced black coffee and there was no cream in the house. 
It's because you're like cleaned out the fridge. <laughs> Don't you love that? Like whenever yeah. whenever oh, a wife's going on a diet, I'm like not so too going do on we. This diet? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it's not a diet. It's a way of eating. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but there's still no cream in the fridge. Yeah. And you know, I could go out and buy some, but I'm too lazy. So I went back to black coffee for those 30 days. I'm like, I really actually love it as long as it's really good coffee. Right. But I've kept that way ever since. So yeah. So yeah. no sugar. Sugar to me is deadly in the morning oh, i think sugar is deadly just in general it's the worst thing we do to ourselves i i can't even function like yeah. half hour later i'm just like stupid yeah you know more stupid than i normally am <laughs> so the point is is like no sugar until like for me late 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 in the day right like maybe before bedtime which that's my cheating time that's but right. anyway go ahead on the yeah uh, so routine. between four and five i get all that done so you know right. up the Wim Hof, the meditation the reading writing each of those is about 20 minutes a pop so there's an hour okay. five o'clock i'll i'll workout so i love hot yoga get a big kick out of that but you know orange theory you know lifting weights playing basketball whatever i just want to move i don't really have like a ton of like major fitness goals i don't want to be bigger yeah i just want to not die and so then when moving getting the blood flowing because yep. you've already done the breathing part of it right. to a certain degree which you work out better when you do the wim hof my exercise like if i hit yeah. the gym because i don't i don't phone it in when i'm at the gym i'm at the gym yeah and if i've done wim hof that morning I can I can lift more. I, I just feel like I get a way better workout in. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool because I sort of think of Wim Hof as like a substitute for exercise. No. But you're saying it's a like a pre-workout. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all. And then after the workout, I do a cold shower, which is aligned with the whole Wim Hof thing. That was the hardest habit to cultivate. Well, waking up at four is tough. The trick is you have to do it every day. Because if you try, what I was trying to do for years is I'd wake up early Monday through Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, I'd have an adjusted schedule. And I ended up reading about like circadian rhythms and, you know, the, the, the patterns your body goes through. And all that was happening is every weekend I was resetting those. Yeah. So you wake up at the same time every single day, which sounds like a nightmare, but it's actually really fulfilling. And then I give myself a nap Sunday mornings. Hmm. So after I do, you know, all, all of my morning routine, I'll go back to bed for about 90 minutes. And that kind of helps make sure that I don't like dread life and I'm always tired. Right. So that's right. been that's been super helpful. So Saturday, Sunday, you're doing the same routine without the exercise, and the exercises. Again, you're gonna have to reel me in here, Ralph, because yeah. I, I, re- I don't want to go off the rails. But Saturday is even more in depth. Saturday, I go down to this. There's a place in Phoenix called Optimize. It's Wim Hof inspired. Mm-hmm. The guy who started is a, a certified Wim Hof trainer, and they've got these uh, these ice baths. And so I do these 20 minutes of compression stockings, full body. Mm-hmm. I do a 20 minute red light sauna, and then I do. Um, you go from the ice bath and I try to, I try to stay in there for 45 minutes, four to five, not 45, four to five minutes. And it's, you know, anywhere between like, uh, just above freezing to about 40 degrees. Yeah. And you go from the ice bath to the hot tub, to the ice bath, to the hot tub. And you do that as many times as you can stand and you end on the ice bath. That's hmm. the real key because in, according to them, and you know, I, I haven't read the, the, the literature, but the systems in your body that you're working to catalyze from a hormesis perspective work better if you've ended on ice because your body doesn't feel like you've moved into some level of reparation. And so the reparation starts there and I'll do like the juve red light therapy and then I'll. And then you go. Yeah. And then what's after that? My wife and I give each other alternate mornings. So I get Saturday morning to myself. And yeah. she gets Sunday morning. We're kind of, we like to fly solo, which is really weird to some people, but it's so necessary for us. So I go and I, I treat myself out. It's my, when my one, I don't even like using the word cheat meal because it's not bad, but it's like my one meal off of my crazy, insane diet. And I'll have a latte and then I'll sit and I'll like, you know, watch Jordan Peterson videos or I'll read whatever book I'm reading. And I just right. like, just, it's my time, you yeah. know, no wife, no kids, no business, no, you know, none of it. That's and uh, it only lasts a couple hours, but yeah, it's what keeps me going all week. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, and so then on Sunday to end the week. And then I'm with my boys. She yeah. gets she gets the morning, and I take my kids, and we go and we do something. If there's a festival in town, or you know, I'm, I subscribe to all the damn indoor kitty bouncy bounce places, and we'll just yeah, I like running around and throwing them around and going to the park, playing soccer. I you know I really want them to be out moving. I, kids just don't get enough of that. No. No, they don't. I mean, left to their own devices, as the expression goes, really is like a thing. You yeah. know, it's not just an expression because if they don't do anything, they will go to their devices. Yeah. It's the default setting, which is, as we know, we spend a lot of time on our devices just in general. Right. I actually really look forward to one thing that I do do on, I've really incorporated this, is taking Sunday as a digital detox day. Oh, good for, for you, dude. I don't, like, my mother's always like, why don't you pick up the phone on Sunday? I was going to so say, I'm like, going to call you on Sunday and see if don't. you're lying. <laughs> I like to just have it sit, not touch it. Now, I might use my iPad to, like, listen, you know, to, to, you know, to read the newspaper online, something like that. But, I mean, the phone itself, I won't respond to text messages, and I just take that off. It's like I just need that reset, and... It's a really good thing, and, and I've really been focused on elimination of blue light prior to going to bed, mm. which is a big deal. I haven't done that, but I've read yeah. it's so important. That's a huge thing for me. Do you sleep better? Going into nighttime. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I use a... I'm not like I don't have a whoop or I don't like track myself as, as like obsessively as some people do. Like, Why are you looking at me like that, Ralph? A whoop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a whoop, a whoop, you know. I don't really necessarily want to know that much, but I do want to know about my sleep quality. So I use an app called Sleep Cycle, which is, it's not perfect, but it's actually, it's really good at assisting with quality of sleep as well as regulating the time you actually go to bed, you know, ensuring that you get like seven, eight hours, which for me is like the optimal because building this thing, I was the joke in the house and i think i've said this on the show before is that the internet never sleeps and neither does dad and that was really <laughs> that awesome. bad that and i think that led to some of my like health issues which i paid the price for in the last year or so so i mean i think now like the refocus on routine you know i know that meditation is really good one of the things i i do every day is exercise but mm. i do it in a different routine from you it's i do the reading and then I do a little bit of the work, the urgent, important stuff. And then by then, I'm actually energized or stressed out, depending on what's going on, to have a really good workout. And yeah, I do well, and if you're listening, you've never seen Ralph. He looks like a bouncer. Like, you got the broad shoulders and, and you know, the, the, the built-out chest. Like, you, you've done something right there, man. <laughs> well, we've figured out how to, you know, how to, yeah, I did it wrong for years and years and then taught my kids how to do it. And, uh, you know, our big thing is just is, is building muscle and being strong and healthy and then mixing that with obviously some cardiovascular as well but you don't have to do a whole lot of it but one of the things that there's two two programs well really is one concept which is called progressive overload which is in essence four to six rep range six to eight rep range eight to eight to ten rep range of your compound movements which is you know my kids argue with me about this all the time but it's basically it's bench press squat deadlift and i always say military press because i'm pretty good in that one which is over the head and then secondary movements that are in the higher rep range. And that's what's enabled them as my two boys who are now like, I mean, Jesus, my, my youngest can squat 405 like perfectly. Cool. Yeah, and he's like, a, he weighs like 155 pounds. And my oldest can deadlift over 650 pounds. 
like by following this type of routine, this progressive overload. So we'll leave some links in the show notes to that, but that's been really, really helpful for me. And it just gets me in a really good mindset, strong body, strong mind, all that. So exercise is a huge part of it. And like me, like you actually, cause you do, you know, the hot yoga and you also orange theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's me and a bunch of like 50 year old women and, the, and they're <laughs> all great. like just whooping me, dude. They're just, yeah, so, they're, they're, yeah, they're amazing. Like, Who's the guy with the long hair? Dragging yeah, exactly. Ass the back. Yeah. <laughs> you're slowing us down, Cosm. <laughs> and then when you're on the road, you do what I do, which I didn't realize. Yeah. Like you get up and your exercise is just a bunch of push ups. I just bang up push ups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's fast. It's I don't easy. have to, I don't, you don't need anything. Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. Depending on the day, I'll do like, Cause it's one of the areas that I need improvement on in my weightlifting. So I, I have been doing like the one arm pushups, perfecting really? the one arm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I so can't I'm do getting that. pretty excited about that. Yeah. But then that, that, that is like, you can't do that back to back days. Otherwise your shoulder will like collapse. Well, I have no muscle. I'm a string bean. So, so I mean, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't survive the one Yeah, but you push-ups. have a longer push because yeah. your arms are much longer. You're joking. Your push up is like. My push-up is like two of your, or yours is like two of mine. I travel twice the distance. Yeah. <laughs> you travel twice the distance. So, but yeah, so that's what we do. We're, we're on the road and hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more of that. And when you find a hotel gym, I don't really like the hotel gyms Dude, all that I hate much. them. They're always poorly equipped. I know. Yeah. And terrible. I kind of have a routine and they never have the stuff that I like. So yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there if I really want to get a run in. Yeah. You know, like going in and hook some cardio. I'm not good at running on the street. Yeah. I know that's the way you're supposed to do it. Running. Yeah. (laughs) Well, swimming, I think, is just probably better. Better on your joints. I do love swimming. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, they had this heated and non-heated pool here at the hotel, and I've gone there, you know, two days in a row. I feel fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Yeah. It's it's great. Go diagonal across the warm pool. It's yeah. a little bit longer. There you go. That way. Pro tip. Go, go in the cold one yeah. first. Just a geometry like, lesson for you. <laughs> it's like a dodecahedron or I don't even know what, a hexagon or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll figure it out. You're like that. <laughs> so, that's our morning routine. I, but one of the things that we talked about just briefly is you going out to Affiliate Summit West and you were asked to talk on another podcast. ClickBank. By ClickBank, yeah. which is, tell us a little bit about people aren't familiar with what ClickBank is and Affiliate Summit West. Maybe talk about that just briefly. We're yeah. sort of assuming everyone knows here, but then leads into an interesting discussion that we not necessarily have the same opinions on. But talk to us about like what you what you spoke about on uh, the ClickBank podcast. Yeah. So Affiliate Summit West, great events, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy into the sales. Obviously, the ClickBank folks reached out to me. I think they reached out to all the speakers on that special. Right. And they said, hey, do you want to, you know, we got a, they, they carved out a room at the hotel, Caesars Palace. Yeah. And which I bashed last episode. And yeah, they had they will oh, not be a sponsor. Of that's right. Yeah. We just right. burned our bridges burned with Caesars bridges. Palace. Yeah, too bad. They had this really cool setup in this this suite and, you know, nice little audio setup. And um, I went over there and did get a guest spot with them. And super cool guys. Uh, actually, what's cool is I got the, to, and I wish I could remember his name. I, I should have it and I don't. So egg on my face. But the, the gentleman I interviewed with spoke right before me. Okay. So I got to see his talk and he was talking about, you know, how to use TikTok and stuff. But what was interesting about it is because ClickBank is so like, so funnel heavy mm-hmm. and so like, you know, I mean, hardcore sales Hardcore. There. And yeah. you're not really... Upsell, upsell, yeah. downsell, upsell. Yeah. And if you don't own the product as an affiliate, you're not building brand equity usually. Right. You know, you're just, you're sort of going for the throat. And so it, it got me and Ralph talking about funnels 
And uh, I think we're going to fight now. Is that what's going to happen? Yeah, I think yeah. it's going to be a cage match here yeah. in Fairmont. Well, I'm, you're going to have to cast me because I'm, I'm very fast. So. <laughs> you got the breathing down there. Yeah. <laughs> Just outweigh you. So, and, and, and it's not that I'm anti-funnel at all. But I do think for, and this obviously doesn't apply to affiliates, so I'm not bashing the ClickBank, ClickBank folks. But if you're, a, you know, I want to say a legitimate business, but if you're like a business that's trying to build a brand or trying to build brand equity, I don't think funnels are the call anymore. And I don't think they're the call because, you know, it takes 31 impressions, as many as, you know, 4.5 pages, depending on whose averages you're looking at, 3.5 clicks. Mm -hmm. It's a multivariant, multi-touch, multi-dimensional engagement with this customer. The second highest page for most of my clients, I have 200 clients, the second highest page is almost a ubiquitous truth is their About Us page. Sure. Because people want to know mission, vision, values. They want to see case studies, testimonials, engage with you on an ongoing basis. And you, funnels don't lend themselves to that. Right, like if you land on somebody's funnel, it's they, there's a reason. Yeah, well, and they call them squeeze pages for a reason. Nobody right. wants to be squeezed. So I think there's a place for them. You know, if I'm running YouTube ads, we've got a client that spends a million dollars a month in YouTube, and it goes straight to a funnel because it's you know it's very impulse opt-in, and and I think those things can make sense. But I think by and large, the days of funnels being the gold standard, I think that's done. I, I think that people have sort of figured them out. I also think that digital marketing has taken a tact that requires more touches. You used to be able to get, you know, shorter lifetime conversions or, or whatever. But man, I just, I, I'm, I'm encouraging people to move away from squeeze pages and funnels. Hmm. Check. Hey, it's Kasim here and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue, and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BK is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. Well, 
Well, you have an interesting case study here that sort of backs that up. I mean, I think there's one thing on the theory side and, you know, a counterpoint to that is that a lot of the businesses that are really thriving, especially right now in this day of of somewhat reduced visibility, although we are getting some of that visibility back slowly but surely and obviously testing lots of ways in which to do that. And we've got a couple of very interesting and encouraging prospects in which to do that, which we can talk about in further episodes here. But the point is, is that we're finding that this is very much true right now is traffic costs are higher where the product price is lower and traffic mm-hmm. costs are lower where product prices are higher. Isn't that funny? And sort of reverse thinking there, but in the product price higher, meaning higher average order value customers, there is an element of a sales funnel there, which is a, you can look at a sales funnel in a couple of different ways. For us, in one customer that I'm thinking about, that we used to just send traffic to a product page. And that's how we started and it did pretty well, but it wasn't, giving them the ability to scale as soon as we started having a process for that. And I'm saying funnel, not in the traditional sense, like a ClickBank funnel or a ClickFunnels funnel, but putting content in front of them and then links to the next logical step that could be considered a sales funnel. Mm. So warm up content in this particular case, blog post with links to all the individual products, which oddly enough, you know, the, the blog post talks about all the individual products, you know, with, you know, a mention of some famous people that wear the same products, that kind of thing. And then they're clicked linking to individual product pages. That, in my mind, is a modified sort of funnel in some ways because it's very intentional from our perspective. And that, in that case, I mean, the average order value of that customer is in the thousands of dollars. So it's a counterintuitive way of thinking. If we had just sent them to a a product page, which your example here is that it wouldn't have worked sure. or it wouldn't, they, we, we wouldn't have been able to scale. They would have still been spending 20 K per month using mostly retargeting and their email list and occasionally getting a sale and playing it safe and, you know, keeping their foot on first base and never really wanting to steal second or let alone go to third or all the way home. And we've hit a home run for that customer really, because we've looked at it in a different way. And it does have a funnel methodology. It's not just let's send it to a page and that's it. So that's my counter to that. Other customers that we have do have ClickFunnels funnels and with a high-end product at the at the tail end of that. Now, remember what I said before is that traffic costs for us seem to be lower for higher ticket items or higher ticket, higher average order value and trick, ticket, you know, and traffic costs seem to be, you know, more expensive in many cases for a lower ticket lead generation on the front end of a higher ticket sale is really something that we're seeing as an overall trend. And that includes sales page, thank you page. There could be like one time upsell. There could be all these other sorts of things that go along with it, but ultimately the sale, which might be made after the first or initial transaction is the thing that's bringing all the value back in the ROAS. So, your example is a little bit different. And we were just sort of, you know, before we hit record here, you got some news from some of your team about some pretty remarkable results with a 
pretty major national brand. Yeah, so this is the only publicly traded company that we have as a client. Ecom, online e-commerce brand, among other things. And we took over their ads starting November 1st. We've been doing the build-out throughout October. Our, our ads went live November 1st, so shut off their old ads, turned on our new ads. In five days, we made them a million dollars over and above what they generally make on their ads, which were already performing uh, net positive. I can't say well, but they were making money. And if I explain how we did it, it becomes less impressive because it actually has less to do with how good we are and more to do with how horrible their past agency was. But it, it does validate the the kind of multivariant, multi-touch discussion because the, the last agency wasn't allowing for that eventuality. Mm. And we were being a little, you know, a little softer touch. And, you know, it resulted in a million dollars in five days. Which, five days. Yeah, I, and they have a seven-figure monthly ad spend, so they're spending sure. the money to justify this. It's not that their ROAS is insane, but right. it's still, you know, it's not every day that I get to make make somebody a million bucks. So what can you tell us about what happened in those five days? Like what fundamentally shifted or well, changed? Well, so their, their past agency was, was banking way too much on their brand campaign, which I believe very strongly in running a brand campaign. But if you have a really strong brand that people are already seeking, A, and B, if you this particular client sells products that are both consumable and in some cases not prescription and that you need a doctor's prescription, but like they're, they're how do I say this? So the previous agency was banking too heavily on their brand campaign. And now I believe very strongly in running a brand campaign. I'm all about it. And I have clients that fight me on running a brand campaign because they say this is traffic we're going to get anyway. And I have a whole bunch of reasons why that's not true. Competitors sneak and steal your brand or organic placement is so far beneath the fold that there's no guarantee you're going to get it anyway. Even if you get it, you can't necessarily direct the traffic. You're not able to track uh, the entire conversion path, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a bunch of reasons to run a brand campaign, but they were taking the majority of their million and sometimes multi-million dollar monthly budget and pushing it towards brand. And the reason that bugs me, especially for this particular client is first, they're dealing with consumables and they're dealing with the type of consumable that people need to come back for. Mm -hmm. And basically they're just getting a bunch of reorders. They were taking all the reorders that this client would have gotten anyway, but pushing them towards paid ads. Uh. So all we did and this only took five days to do. We prioritized new traffic inside of Google Ads. And you can do this in Google Shopping. You can actually increase the value of a new customer by a certain metric. You can say this customer is worth this much more as a dollar amount or as a percentage. And that just tells Google, hey, because Google is going to default to the most likely to convert. And the most likely to convert almost always is the repeat customer. But you're giving Google an incentive to go after the new customers. And in so doing, we increased their, their gross revenue by a million bucks. Mm. Is it akin to exclusions for current customer base, like kind uploading of. databases? I mean, can you do that and get an even more powerful effect? Is that something that you guys deploy? You absolutely can. So inside of Google, you can build custom audiences and then you can exclude that audience. We don't always want to do that wholesale because I actually do want that traffic, especially if Google's not able to spend the traffic on new customer acquisition. I don't mind remarketing traffic that brings customers back. Because like okay. I said early, earlier, there there is... There is a, a swath of clients that are stealable. You know, people can come in and poach your brand. They don't necessarily find you. Even if they find you, I can't see the conversion path and optimize for it. But if I've got, if I've got a client, and it honestly doesn't matter what they're spending. You know, these folks are spending millions. But even if you're spending 10 grand a month, the majority of your spend should be new customer acquisition. Sure. And then, you 70 know. 70 to 80%. Exa those are the exact numbers I was going to say. 10 to 20% of your, of your spend can then go to we just making sure that. we're greasing the axle. Yeah, we're just brilliant. So. Or we just, you know. One of us is just completely <laughs> redundant and unnecessary. But to bring this full circle, they're the antithesis of a funnel. They're yeah. straight up hardcore e-com with product pages. 
And I think a lot of that lends itself to the ways that consumers like to shop. I don't know that people especially, and I wish I could, it would help me make my case more if I could tell you who they were, but this particular product, you would repel people with a squeeze page. It'd be kind of like, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily ready for this. And they've got, you know, thousands of SKUs. So that's right. the other thing is you have cross-pollination capabilities. And, you know, if they come in on product A, but buy products B, C, and D, which happens way more often than not, you actually lose those opportunities with, with funnels and squeeze pages. Interesting. So you're saying if you, like, in this case, there's lots of different SKUs. Are you sending... The majority of your traffic, you've got like that new buyer, obviously, in, in your in your in your sites. But are you sending the majority of your traffic to like a collection page where there's lots of different choices, or are you always sending them to a specific product? Straight that, to the product page, and that is related to your targeting, or correct. is it okay? Well, and Google does that for us. So you it give okay. through a couple of engines, you, uh, a uh, shopping and smart shopping. So you know Google has a feed, and then it connects everything that you say inside of your feed to what it is that people are searching for. Okay, and it does the match shopping. dynamically. That makes a lot more but sense. But then yep. Google also has like dynamic search ads, where Google crawls every single page on your site or every page that you allow it and it create it creates ads on your behalf and it does it inside of ecosystems that people aren't used to buying e-commerce products from like the search ecosystem for instance right. so right. a lot of it is us taking our hands off the wheel and letting google sort of and you know what dude now that i'm thinking about it a lot of where you and i differ might just be i take different clients most of my clients tend to be closer to the bottom of the funnel so i'm dealing only with hot traffic mm-hmm your take your full funnel and post click. So you do sure. a lot more than I do. So you're taking cold traffic, warm traffic, and and I can see where cold and warm traffic would need to be squeezed a little bit because you have to you have to force them to yeah. move. Yeah. For for me and my clients, everybody's they've already identified the issue. They know they need a solution and now it's a matter of who are they going to buy from? Right. Which is why I have the luxury, I guess, of not using squeeze pages. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to throw my hands up in the middle of this argument, but now that I'm, <laughs> I'm, now that I'm thinking you're, about you're it. You're waving the white flag. Yeah. yeah, this is good. I win, you lose. That's what this <laughs> podcast is all about. I don't remember saying that at all. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, I mean, I guess different viewpoints. Like, yes, it is. You are business. Your agency is more focused on bottom of funnel acquisition, but still they want new customers. Yep. And we're using really different tools too. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you add on Facebook stuff, we add on Google stuff, but our primary modality is still to this day, the one that we've built the whole business on and, and help scale and grow a lot of businesses, which is Facebook and Instagram. So it, I think it lends itself to more of a funnel type of mindset where you do have to push them in the right way. It, you know, it's far more interruption based, although mm. Google shopping is or it's smart shopping. Yeah. But the, the difference there is you, you actually have a machine that's been able to identify the intent in this person. Right. So even though they haven't been in your funnel, quote unquote, they've been in a funnel, a, the logical funnel that Google has defined and sort right. of, you know, it's like a ghost funnel. So it's interrupted intent. Yeah. I think there. What is, dude, you got a, is that domain available? That was good. Interrupted intent. Yeah. We should. Trademark, probably, copyright. Yeah, we yeah, should probably hashtag tell Ralph Hector Burns. to edit that out so yeah. I can go grab the domain. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think there is an element of that. So, I mean, I th- you know, when we deploy YouTube ads, we sort of think about it as, all right, there is some intent-based stuff there, obviously, but then there is some interruption as well. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah, YouTube is as high in the funnel as I get. That's you know sure. middle of the funnel warm trap. And and interestingly, and to your point, and again, I'm not trying to wave the right flag. I'm sort of shooting myself here. But YouTube is where funnels become more viable for us. The clients that I do have that are using funnels successfully, they're doing it inside of YouTube and Google Display because they're both outbound. Right. And totally inter well. Google Display, unless it's retargeting, is really is interruption-based marketing. Oh, and dude, Google Display is it's the biggest missed opportunity in the space of marketing. The problem is, is Google won't open up the segmentation because they don't want... Here's the thing. How many congressional hearings have they been on Google? Zero. How many have they been on Facebook? Two. And it's because <laughs> Facebook, tipped their, they showed their cards. They let us segment by these levels of granularity where Congress went like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. And Google has, you know, Facebook has 55,000 demographic and psychographic profiling factors. Google has 70 million. Yeah. So Google could it's allow crazy. way more segmentation, but they don't want the congressional hearing. So the Google Display Network is this, it's like this, this diamond that I can see, but I can't grab yet. Because yeah. in order to use it, you have to have just immense amounts of money. And, you know, our average client's spending 10 grand a month. Right, right. So maybe on retargeting. Oh, dude, if you're not running, for, if you're yeah. listening to this and you're not running retargeting ads, stop now what you're doing. Pull the car over, you know, pause the podcast, whatever, and just go build a basic remarketing campaign. Nothing will be better for your business. My cost per lead, personally, for my agency is $450. When I run a remarketing campaign, it drops you to 25 Doubles the efficacy. Yeah. Of my of my campaigns. And you think you don't have traffic, let's say. It doesn't matter. You have more traffic than you than you realize, and remarketing is going to help maximize the value of that traffic. You yeah. should be doing remarketing before you do anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, set up the easy stuff first. Right. It's a low-hanging fruit. Back it out. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And do it on all channels. Do it on Google and Facebook and AdRoll and Taboola and Outbrain. Like, anywhere you can get remarketing traffic, it's free until they click. Why wouldn't you do that? It's free branding. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And you get to see your face everywhere on the internet, which, which, I, is, which yeah, is a huge Hashtag bonus. narcissism. Yeah, yeah, narcissism all the way. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we're coming at this from completely opposite angles and there's no winner or loser here. But, I mean, I think you're starting to come around to my way of thinking. I think what we found, Ralph, was there's... <laughs> Oh man, I I gotta be careful from now on. <laughs> I, th I think what we found was there's there's different implementations for different contexts, and yeah, you won. <laughs> oh, now he's really throwing up the white flag. This has never uh, ever happened. Shoot. This would never happen on a, a Riverside call or a Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just we're just too close and yeah, you're too strong. Too, too <laughs> damn close, or it's like too close to lunch, right? And we're really yeah, I just want to eat. Yeah, yeah. I just want to eat. <laughs> no, well, that's super, uh, super helpful and really interesting, that case study that with the brand never to be named. But the point is, is like you guys are absolutely crushing it. A lot of the stuff that you talk about there, like it totally makes sense too. like that high end consumer product, you know, thousand dollar AOV plus plus one of the first things that we did is we just eliminated. We did exclusions. Hmm. Because they were going back to their, like, they had no targeting in, like, in one country and, and no exclusions. And they were just, Facebook kept hitting over and over and over again their previous buyers. So right. they weren't accumulating, weren't actually acquiring new customers. So their, their, their performance looked pretty good, but they couldn't scale past a certain level. And so as soon as we actually installed good targeting... We used a lot of GCLID-based audiences, by the way, and some of our retargeting, but then did exclusions. Uh, all of a sudden, things really started to crank up, and that's uh, mix that with a little, you know, 
pre-framed content, funnel-esque, light. That's about as light of a funnel as we probably have, you know, in tier 11 as a customer. But the point was, is that was sort of the magic solution that really helped them to scale and grow. So I love um, those easy wins. Just when you, we like easy wins yeah. because it, like, if you can <laughs> make think us sort look of, smart. But, yeah. Well, if you can think backwards. And obviously, this campaign, like everything on Facebook, will has a finite life. So as soon as it starts working and starts working well, that's when our team starts to dig back into, all right, what's the next evolution? Because eventually, this thing will right. not perform. And we're fully aware of that, going back to the humble, humble hungry, smart you know, idea of like the people that work you know, in the company and just being humble itself. Like once you figure it out, like you haven't really figured it out, right? You know, because something is always going to change. So have a have a plan B and a contingency. So be paranoid. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's like you know, I have a friend who has a YouTube only agency. He's like, yeah, I set up the ads once and then pretty much set it and forget it. And I'm like, oh, that that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> like <laughs> bastard. I know we're clearly running YouTube wrong. She's <laughs> <laughs> way smarter than both of us. Anyway, well, this has been great. We are famished. It's time for lunch here at War Room. And uh, it's been cool to get in not one, but two live episodes. And uh, hopefully the background noise isn't too loud for you here. Our awesome producer, Hector, will hopefully take care of that. And uh, for everything that we mentioned here on this week's show, head on over to perpetualtraffic.com. Kasim Aslam. Until next week, let's go eat lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, y'all. All right. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.